Hey, we, we are in week three. So this is week three of this series that we're calling Brave. Um, week three. So we're going to be in Esther chapter three. So if you've got a device, you just go ahead and like, you know, just punch it and find it. But if you've got an actual like, like one of these Bibles, you know, like, what is that? It's got paper in it. Um, if you go to the middle of your Bible and open it, that's probably going to be Psalms, somewhere close to Psalms. Once you find Psalms, two books to the left, Esther. Okay, so Psalms, then you'll go to Job, then you'll go to Esther. And that made me sound really, really smart. Um, that's what we're going to be today. Listen, let me ask you this question. How many of you, um, you've got movies that um, you can watch over and over and over again, your favorite movies? You make favorite movies? Okay, like, um, I'm trying to think, I'm going to just totally knock on my, on my wife, Wendy, but um, she likes Overboard with Goldie Hawn. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, um, she likes anything to do with Pride and Prejudice. Um, she likes Sense and Sensibility. She likes Masterpiece Theater. Is that what it's called, Masterpiece Theater? So she's all about Downton Abbey, right? Um, so right now she sees us, revert, but if that ever comes out and she gets the DVD, she'll probably watch it over and over again. So much so that when we walk in the room and she's watching it, we just go, huh, and walk out, right? Um, so, but, but the best movies, have you noticed this? The best movies, you can watch them over and over and over again, and you always see something new. Have you noticed that? Always see something new. Signs. That's going back about 13 years. Signs was the first movie that we really experienced that with. We watched Signs. If you've, how many of you have seen Signs? Anybody not seen Signs? Okay, I'm going to ruin it for you. That's great. But it's, it's not really a horror movie. It's kind of like, um, it's just suspenseful, right? And so it's Signs, and there's like, it's about aliens and stuff like that. And so um, Single Dad, Tragedy, anyway, whatever. So the first time you watch it, this is what you do. You just kind of. What's going to happen next? I know, you know, like, you can, can you always tell, like, you know when someone's going to jump out behind the person, right? You know, scary movies. And so you know what's going to happen. And then the second time you watch it, you, like, know all that's going to happen. So then you're really watching for other stuff. And then the third time, you're like, oh, snap. I get it. Like, that happened there. And then it was important because over here, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the best movies are like that, right? Esther's like that. This book, man. I mean, this is the first time I've ever taught through the whole book. I told you, like, as a youth pastor, this was my go-to book, right? Kids would say, I don't read the Bible because the Bible's boring. And I would say, dude, you need to check out Esther. It never mentions God. You'll love that. It's about, like, military men. There's murder. There's fighting. There's sex. Check out Esther, right? Beauty pageant, the whole deal. Really hot chicks. Check it out. And then they'd read it and love the Bible, right? So, I, but teaching through it as a series, like, Sitting down every week and really studying this book, um, I'm just amazed how much is in here, you know? And I start feeling this pressure as a pastor, like, to tell you all of it and then feel bad for the things that I, I might miss. And it's like God just said, dude, it's a good movie. It's just a good story. Like, you can, you can preach this the rest of your life. Like, you're always going to see new things and go, wow. I didn't see that before. And I love that. The twist, the plot twist, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're here for the very first time, you're like, week three, crud, what did I miss? Let me tell you. Here's what you missed. We're calling it brave. We could have called it all kinds of things, um, but we're calling it brave because we believe that God has a very specific word for our church right now in this season of where we are, that he wants us to have courage. He wants us to be brave. Some of that we just prayed about. He's calling some of us to step out, and that requires Courage. So of all the ways that we could go in this book, all the avenues that we could go down, like the little rabbit trails, we're trying to stay true to this one question. What in this book 
What in this chapter, what in this verse, what in this section is what we need in order to be brave? So the first week, we were in Esther chapter 1, and we met a bad king. His name was Xerxes. And we learned this, that bad kings make bad decisions, right? Remember that? He, like, got drunk with all of his buddies for six months. You ever been to a six-month party? He got drunk, ran up a big tab, paid for it, and opened his, his kingdom to the whole city of Susa for one week. They all came in and got drunk, and at the end of that whole big drunken super, he went, Hey, great idea. Get my wife to come out half naked. And women, what did she say? Uh, not happening, right? Not happening at all. So she like popped the whole Z thing and whatever, right? Bad kings make bad decisions. And what we said was it's one thing to talk about Xerxes. We can read this book and go, he's a bad king. But it's a whole other thing when we put ourselves in that position and we ask this question, what do I do in my own life? I sit on the throne, right? <laughs> we sit on the throne and we say, sweet tea, please, boiled peanuts, please. whatever you eat, right? We, we rule our lives, and when we rule our lives, when we sit on the throne, if we're honest, we are bad kings. We make bad kings and we make bad decisions. Some of you right now could tell story after story after story of how you ran your life into the ground making bad decisions because you tried to run your life. The good news is that bad kings bow to a better king. His name is Jesus. Last week, we said, hey, not only do we need to be brave and stage a coup and kick that bad king off the throne, we need to be brave and we need to let God redeem bad decisions. Have you ever seen God redeem bad choices in your life? That's what we saw in Esther chapter 2. Some people that made really bad decisions, bad choices all the way around. And at the end of that chapter, even though they made bad choices, what had happened? Esther was queen. Like God somehow redeems bad choices. I'm so thankful because I've made and will make bad choices, right? So this morning... It's like, God, what, what are we going to chapter 3? Like, you know, Xerxes is still here. We're still going to see Mordecai. We're going to see, um, we're going to see some more of Esther. Like, how do we summarize Esther chapter 3, the end of chapter 2 and all the way through chapter 3? I thought, if there was a soundtrack, if we could give a soundtrack to this portion of Scripture, if we could, like, play a song and go, that song nails it. That's what this is all about. What would that soundtrack be? I think I know. Let's, let's go ahead. Can you hear that? How many of you recognize that? It comes from the movie Jaws, right? Yeah, it comes from the movie Jaws. That's the perfect soundtrack for this passage of Scripture. Because what you're going to find today is we need to be brave because there are sharks in the water, right? Maybe not that big, right? That's huge. I mean, how many of you remember when, shark, when Jaws came out? Um, I couldn't see Jaws, like, so I, I snuck and watched Jaws. And listen, Jaws scared the snot out of me. I didn't bathe or shower for a month, right? I'm like, I'm not, even, I'm not even brushing my teeth. I'm not going near water. He will come out of the spigot and kill me, right? Um, our family went down to Myrtle Beach. Um, this is way back in the day, and we stayed at the Caravel. That was our go-to spot at Myrtle Beach. And so we're at the Caravel, and then we're, we went down to go swimming in the pool. Indoor pool, indoor pool, no salt water, indoor pool. And I didn't want to get in. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that shark is coming up behind me from somewhere. I just wrecked my life. This is the picture of Esther chapter 3, okay? You with me? We need to be brave because there are sharks in the water. We're going to meet a couple sharks today. Uh, let's just talk through your note sheet. Um, I've already given you all. There's no blanks to fill out except for the big idea. You can just take notes and, and chill. So with all apologies to Dr. Seuss, let's talk through this first point. One shark, two sharks, red shark, blue shark. 
there's all kinds of sharks, all kinds of sharks, right? 450 different species of, of sharks. Um, I've been thinking about sharks because Sydney's class just went down to Myrtle Beach, and we, we like, did this thing called Sleeping with the Sharks. And so you go down with these rowdy sixth graders, and they all smell bad. And then at the end of the night, you go into, like if you've been to Ripley's Aquarium, you can walk through the shark tunnel. How many of you have been to the shark tunnel at Ripley's? Yeah. So I slept in the shark tunnel which is better than sleeping actually with the sharks, right? But I'm in the shark tunnel. You're getting no sleep at all because I'm with sixth grade boys who will not, and I mean this in the nicest way, shut up, right? And so you finally kind of, finally you drift off to sleep. I tried to sleep on my side so that I wouldn't snore, right? Because you don't want to snore in public, but your hip starts to hurt. So I roll over. I finally kind of drifted off to sleep. And at some point during the night, I open my eyes and right above me is like this sawtoothed shark. And he's, he's smiling at me. Like somehow he knows there's a secret compartment that if he just gets to it, he can come through and eat me and then go back, right? And it's like, oh, hello, Mr. Shark. I mean, there's all kinds of different sharks, right? It's true in life. It's true in the ocean. Um, they had like a small shark that was in like this petting area where you could pet stingrays and horseshoe crabs, that kind of stuff. And so like all the kids, especially the boys, they're like, ooh, ooh, I want to pet the shark. And they're reaching in to pet the shark. And the workers are like, no, right, don't pet the shark. Like, you don't pet the shark, right? I went and pet a shark once. It was great, right? You don't do that. And no matter how big or how small they are, they're, they're still sharks. They're still dangerous. They can still hurt people, Right? All kinds of sharks, and we're going to meet some different sharks in these chapters, and we're going to start at the end of chapter 2. And just remember what's happened is um, all the bad choices, all the bad decisions, God works through all of that, and I'm so glad that none of the choices we make can ruin God's plan. Amen, right? And at the end of all those bad choices, Queen Esther is queen. Queen Esther's queen. She's queen now. She's been chosen. They had the big beauty pageant. We talked about that last week. Um, they had like the Bachelor Persia, remember? And they picked all these beautiful women, and the king picked Esther. Oh, and she's sitting on a throne. And we pick it up there, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, which a lot of commentators like, I don't know what that means exactly, like where they're having another competition. I just like to think of it like that's the, that's the Bachelor reunion show, right? They brought all the women together that lost and like talked about how it was and all kind of stuff. When they assembled them all again, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Mordecai is Esther's cousin. He's sitting at the king's gate because he has a job there. The gate, the gate was where all of the business took place in the city. Okay, so like if you need something official now, you walk right up there to the courthouse, right? That's where you do all your business. Well, in this day, you would go to the city gate. That's where they did all the transactions, all the business. Mordecai's sitting there because he has a job there. He's been appointed there, probably because Esther's his cousin. She's queen, and she's like, hey, Xerxes, baby doll, how about get my cousin a job, right? Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of connection? So he did. Verse 20, but Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when, she, when he was bringing her up. Nobody's really sure why she wouldn't tell people who she was. Okay? Um, but what I do love about this is she did it because Mordecai told her to. Um, now that I'm a parent, <laughs> right? You're, if you're a parent of teenagers especially, don't you love obedience? Yeah, it's just okay to love it, right? Like he said, don't tell anybody, and she didn't tell anybody. And the Bible says that she continued to follow his instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So this girl, her whole life, has been willing to come follow instruction, 
obey, do what she's asked, and she's still doing that here. Whether it's good or bad, she's doing it. Verse 21, during the time that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, Big Thana was a rapper, Teresh was his bodyguard, I'm kidding. Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Now, depending on what version of the Bible you have, I've got the NIV, so it says that they're his king's officers. If you've got the ESV, I think it says that they're his eunuchs. Now, we're not going to go into depth again about that. We talked about that a little bit last week. Like, what is a eunuch, right? We talked about that. And so if they're his eunuchs, maybe that's why they're mad at him. Maybe that's what started all I'm not sure. What we do know for sure is this. They work for the king. They guard the doorway. So they are guarding access to King Xerxes. And they decide that they want to kill him. It's always the people that are near you, isn't it? It's always the people that are near you. The people that you, you trust the most. Like when enemies hurt you, it doesn't really hurt, does it? Because you kind of expect that. But man, when somebody close to you tries to kill you, that's serious. That's what's happening here. Mordecai found out about the plot, verse 22, and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. Why did they hang these guys at the gallows? Because back then what they would do is this. It was all about power, right? So if you walk down the city and you saw two gallows, and you saw two guys hanging from that dead, what would you do? You would probably say, hey, like, can you tell me what they did? What, what did those guys just do? And if you could find out what they did, you would make sure that you never did it, right? Because you don't want to end up hanging from a gallows somewhere. So back then, they were like, hey, mess with the king, that's what you get. And that's important because as we're going to see going forward, there's going to be a moment where Queen Esther's going to have to risk some stuff. And so to know that, man, if I mess with the king and he didn't like it, that could be me. That's a huge deal. They did it publicly so they could stop people from doing it. Huge. And then they record it in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. The, the king actually has a book, um, and they would write down specifically what was happening, who did it. I'm, I'm, I'm really big into sports, so I love to watch head coaches that, like, whip out the book. And, like, they just record, like, they know. They've got somebody recording, like, um, that was a five-yard penalty and the number, and there's a 10-yard penalty and the number. Like, they, they know exactly what happened. We ran this play, and then this happened. And that's kind of what's going on here. What I love about this part is this is like those movies when something happens in the beginning, and you've seen the movie before, and you know that it's really important, and you're watching the movie with people who have never seen the movie before and they're talking and you know they're going to miss it and that's when you turn to them in the love of Jesus and say shut up like this is important they're talking about cucumbers and it's important because down the road in the they're going to realize cucumbers are really important Shh. oh fine rewind it watch it again right that's what's happening right here now we read this book from here looking back they went through this book. So when this was being recorded, it was like, oh, they're recording the stuff in the king's book. But as you will see as we get a couple chapters later, I mean, this is a pivotal moment in this book. This is going to come back to be huge. Just kind of, if you're in a, you've got a Bible, man, just jot that down, highlight that, underline it. If you're on, on version, man, make that yellow right now. That's a huge part of this story. These are, these are small sharks, 
Big Thana and Teresh, just kind of small sharks. Like, they can still hurt you, but they're just kind of small sharks. And in chapter 3, we meet the biggest shark in the entire book. We meet Haman. It says, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. This is weird, right? Like, this is about five, three to five years later. So you're Mordecai, when you have a really weird name, but you're Mordecai, right? And you saved the king's life. That's what he did. He heard about a, a, a possible assassination. He lets his, his cousin Esther know. She lets the king know. They hang the dudes that were going to kill him. You just saved the king. And he honored Haman. Like, Am I the only one that's kind of like, time out, right? Wait, like, me, honor me. Have you ever done something for somebody that didn't even thank you? Are you kidding? That's what's going on here. He honors Haman, who is an Agagite. We we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Haman is a descendant of Agag, and Mordecai is a descendant of King Saul. If you go back in, in the history of the Jews, you'll find that Agag and King Saul, they were like mortal enemies. So they fought and tried to kill each other. And now here we are generations later, and Mordecai and Haman are going to end up doing the same thing. Hatfields and McCoys all over again, right? So Haman's elevated and given a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. Verse 2, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or Pay him honor. We need to unpack that just for a second because if you're like me, um, I was born in church. I've been in church all my life. So I've been taught Esther from a certain slant, right? And the slant was this. Good people make good decisions. Bad people make bad decisions. If you're in church, you're a good person. And all the people that didn't come to Sunday school and get the pen are bad, right? So we, we tend to read this and go, oh, Mordecai, man, what a guy. Like he would not bow. Like, yeah, I'm not bowing, baby. But, but all this was, all this was was like saluting in the military. It wasn't a sign of worship. It was just saluting. It was a sign of respect. So you don't even respect the person as much as you respect the position. And so all these other people are respecting the position, and Mordecai would not bow down. And there's one simple reason for that. Mordecai knew who Haman was. Haman didn't know who Mordecai was. And Mordecai's like, that's that's Haman. He's an agag. Right? I mean, you don't want to be an Agag. It sounds nasty. I mean, Agag, right? He's an Agag. We hate the Agags. They've tried to kill us time and time again. I am not bowing to you. And so all Haman knows is there's this dude that will not bow. And so the guys are like, why won't you bow down? They keep asking him that question. And it says, day after day, verse 4, day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had, they, he had told them that he was a Jew. So he's kind of come out of the closet, I'm a Jew. He's told these guys, the reason I'm not bound is because I'm a Jew, and Jews do not like the family that that guy came from. If I had time to tell you, you would not like him either, because he's tried to, his descendants have tried to kill us for years, and I'm, I can't bow. He's, I'm a Jew. I can't bow. And so they went and told Haman that. How do you think that's going to go over? Not well, right? Let's see what Haman does. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. He's a shark, right? There's sharks in the water. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. He scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Look, you're ticked when you're mad at somebody, find out whose family they come from, and then it's not enough just to get rid of that person. 
Look what it says next. Instead, instead of just being mad at Mordecai, Haman started looking for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Xerxes is the king over the whole world at that time, right? All the, everything, everything new about the world, he ruled it. And here's Haman, because Mordecai won't bow down and honor him. He's like, I, I don't want to just get rid of him. I want to get rid of everybody who's like him. Haman became Hitler before there was a Hitler, right? He just wants to exterminate the Jews. Let's just get rid of them. As much as we possibly can, let's just get rid of them. I don't like any of them. Because I don't like Mordecai. I want his people gone. And so here's his plan. Look at what, look at what this shark does. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the pure, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month, and the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar. Here's what's going on. Back then, the Persians would take kind of like dice, and they would play, they'd play a game where they'd roll the dice, and they would cast lots, and they would determine by those dice, whatever they came up with, that's when the big events would happen that year. So if there's 12 months, they roll the dice in January 12 times. One, two, 12 times. And they go, okay, well, that's a seven. So January 7th, that's going to be a big day. Oh, let's roll for February. Mm, 29. Huh, good, because it's a leap year. That's 29, right? That's kind of how they do it. And they got all the way to the end. And when they rolled it, it came up in the last month of the year, which for us is December. But on our calendar, this is like February, March. Okay, the last month of their calendar. So they would just kind of determine this is going to be a big day. Now listen, Haman is so filled with rage. We're getting ready to read about this plan that he wants to put in place to get rid of the Jews. Let me just tell you this little life coaching. Can I give you some life coaching? Mm, you're like, maybe, I don't know. There are people in your life that you will never please. Never. Never. One of my favorite leadership lessons um, came from Bill McCartney. He used to coach the Colorado Buffaloes in, in college football, and he left that to become the guy that started Promise Keepers. This is going back a couple decades. But as a coach, he, told, he would tell other coaches, when I stepped into a, a locker room, and I was looking at a locker room full of people, full of players, and it was my first time talking to them, he said, I would divide them into three groups. He said, 10% of the people were going to do anything I asked 80% of people, he said the other 10% were never going to do anything I asked, no matter how I asked it. And 80% were figuring out which 10% to follow. And he said, you just got to understand from the very beginning, like, I'm never going to get this 10% to do what I ask, ever. No matter how I ask, no matter how nice I am, they're never going to do what I ask. So I better get this 10% so I can get 90. See what I'm saying? Look, there are people like Haman in your life. You're trying to please them and please them. You're never going to please them. What you've got to understand is this. If Mordecai had bowed in front of Haman and respected him, the minute Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew, he would have wanted to kill him anyway. He would have found a way to try to get rid of him. There are, just, there are sharks in the water. They're out there. They're just like Haman. They want to destroy you. It's just the way that people are sometimes. You need to understand that. Stop trying to please these people. So he calls his guys together. Um, chapter 3, verse 8, Haman says to King Xerxes, here's his big plan. He goes in and makes a pitch to the boss. There's a certain people dispersed and scattered among all the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's laws. In essence, he says, there are some people that are really different than us. They don't act like us. They don't talk like us. They don't even smell like us. They're not good people, okay? And he says, it's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. See how he's making this pitch? It's all about you, king. It's, and, and if you've been with us from day one of this series, 
This is right in the wheelhouse of how to get King Xerxes to make a decision, isn't it? Just build him up. Man, you're fantastic. You're great. There's some people that don't think you're that great, but you're fantastic. You're great. We should get rid of those people because you're fantastic and you're great. That's how you pitch to King Xerxes, right? And if you want to, if you're willing to nail it, you throw in some money. Look at the next verse. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of all I'll put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. Um, now, some people aren't sure if Haman had the 10,000 talents of silver or if he was going to take that from the Jews and give it to the king. But 10,000 talents of silver in today's money is $172 million. Hey, King Xerxes, I got an idea. There's these people that they don't really like you. Really, I don't like them. They don't really like you, and they don't respect you because I can't stand them. And look, I, I'll tell you what, let me, let me kill them all. I'll kill them all. Your hands will be clean, and I'll give you $172 million if you let me do it. And the king said, great idea, right? Here's what the king says. So the king took his signet ring, which was, um, this will not help any of you guys that are in college and younger, but if you're older and you kind of got aging parents, the signet ring was kind of like power of attorney. Okay, so when the king gives him the signet ring, anything he like melts some wax and takes that signet ring and dips it in the wax and makes a seal, that's like law. Okay, so he's given him as a king, here's my power of attorney, do whatever you want. So he gives him the signet ring and he says this, keep the money, which, dude, like how rich do you have to be when you're saying keep $172 million? I'm not saying that, right? I'm at least taking the money. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. This is what sharks do, isn't it? Do with the people as you please. Man, Haman, you're a bad man. Dude, you're a bad man. You're talking to me about killing an entire race of people. And okay, here's my ring, do it. And that there's sharks in the water. So on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces, and the nobles of the various peoples. They were written in the name of the king, Xerxes himself, and sealed with his own ring. That's just a really long verse. All that says is this. They just made sure everybody knew what was going to happen. They wrote it in everybody's language, every dialect. They made sure that nobody would miss it. And so then they sealed it with his ring, power of attorney, this is legit, and they sent it out. They sent it out. They had, they, had, they had the world's first postal system, literally, and they sent these people out, taking this stuff to all the provinces so they could read it. Dispatches, verse 13, were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Um, does that seem like overkill to anybody else? Destroy, kill, and annihilate. I think one of those might be enough, right? Like these, they wanted them dead. Destroy, kill, annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children. On a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So there are going to be kids outside playing kick the can, playing tag, and they will be killed as well. I mean, like, they're just like, on this one day, wipe them out. I didn't see the movie. I'm not recommending that you see the movie. But what blows my mind is this just shows you how, like, the Bible can become real in our culture today. I remember uh, when I'm watching TV with my sons, and we're just kind of chilling there, and uh, the trailer came on for this movie called The Purge. 
And the, the whole concept behind the purge was for 24 hours we're going to abandon all law and you, whatever, whatever happens, happens. So wipe people out, kill them, and for 24 hours it's like a 24-hour killing spree. And he kind of, I remember watching that going, that is the sickest concept. And then I read this and go, wait, they stole that from Esther. Like that's what the king said. Purge our country. Purge the world of Jews. You will not be punished. It's okay. It's a law. Thus says the law, kill Jews. You see, you see that? That's, this is sharks in the water. These are, these are real. This is huge. On the, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Persians would have no idea what that day was. But when the Jews read that, the Jews knew what the significance was of that day. Because that was the eve of Passover. So if you go way back in Bible history, you learn about the Jews, you'll find that they used to be slaves in Egypt. And that God delivered them from Egypt, and he told them to put blood over their doorposts, and that if the angel of death saw that, he would pass over them, and they would not be killed. But anybody didn't have that blood on the doorpost, their firstborn son was killed. And so you got an entire nation in Egypt, like all these firstborns are being killed, firstborn um, animals, sons, the whole deal. And then like the nation of Israel, they're passed over because of the blood. And that's, that's the day, that's what they're going to celebrate. And so they cast lots, right, to see when they're going to have this purge. And the purge falls on Passover Eve. So the night before the Jews are going to celebrate being delivered, they're going to be slaughtered. This is how this story goes. It's amazing, isn't it? How God even orchestrates these kind of details. Let's look at how this whole thing, this whole thing ends. How our story this week ends. Verse 15. Spurred on by the king's command, the couriers went out, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Just before we, before we make two quick points and end it, let me just make sure you get this picture, okay? I want you to see, when we talk about there are sharks in the water, I want you to see this evilness in this culture, okay? A king who is a no-brain king, idiot king, didn't even investigate who these bad people were, like, he just takes Haman's word for it, and Haman's a bad man, too. Like, they decide, like, just let's make a law where we can kill people that we don't like for one day. I'll drink to that. That's his response. Let's just, hey, let's toast, let's toast the annihilation of the Jews. How, how do you toast to the annihilation of a people? How, how hard is your heart if you can do that? And Haman has orchestrated this entire thing. And the entire city of Susa is so messed up, so jacked up, so bewildered because they're hearing this like, hey, on the night before Passover, make sure you kill your neighbor who's a Jew. Like, do what? Like, I'm, I like my neighbor. I don't want to kill my neighbor. So they're thinking, why do I want to kill you? And if they're smart, what they're thinking is, if the king can so easily get rid of them, when's the king going to so easily get rid of me? This just incites total fear and panic in this city. Now, that's where the story ends, right? So we're sitting here going, that's a terrible place to end the story. We, we look at it going back, going, okay, and we know there's like some more chapters and something's going to happen and God's going to come through and save the day, yada, yada, yada. But they didn't know that. All they knew was that there were sharks in the water. They were surrounding them. They're sharks. They're real, man. They're everywhere. Let's talk about Two things, and then we'll close. Why are there sharks in the water? There are sharks in the water because, one, you have an enemy. Let me just talk this through. Let me give you some verses. You can jot these down. John 10, 10. 
says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Jesus talking. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, sharks, that's what sharks do, right? They devour. The one thing I remember from this weekend when they were telling us about sharks, um, they said, we've learned that a full shark is a happy shark, right? So if we just keep feeding them, then they won't attack the fish in the aquarium. That's what sharks do. They just want to eat. They want to devour. You have an enemy. His name's Satan. He likes to devour. Jesus told us in John that we'd have trouble in this world. He said he'd overcome the world. Um, We've got 1 Peter 4.12. We're going to stick that up on the screen. Let me read it to you. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Why why are there sharks in the water? Why do... What attracts sharks? Blood. Like you learned that in Nemo, right? That's what I learned it, right? Finding Nemo, right? He sniffs the blood, and that's when he starts chasing Dory around. Like, he just goes nuts. Blood attracts sharks. What message do we carry, believers? We carry a blood-soaked message of redemption. We carry a message that says to the world, Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood for you, so that you could be redeemed from where you are and that you could have life. And this blood-soaked message that we carry, that's why we're surrounded by sharks. Amen. Because they're attracted to blood. And, and so when, when we freak out about persecution, and persecution in America is hilarious, right? It's like, um, they laughed at me when I prayed. Oh, first Peter's like, dude, are you serious? Peter would be like, are, did you read what I just wrote? Don't be surprised because there's sharks in the water. Like, expect that. Right? I want, here, I want you to write this down. We need to stop being surprised by sharks and start being wise about sharks. We need to understand this is just a normal part of serving Jesus. He's not calling us to be safe. He's calling us to places where there are sharks in the water. So how do we grow wise about sharks? If, if we're going to carry this message about the blood of Jesus... And we're going to attract sharks in the water. What do we do with that? How do we prepare for sharks in the water? Um, some people's answer would be to build better shark cages. Um, do any of you watch Shark Week when it comes on Discovery? Yeah, I watch it all the time. And I'm always watching it thinking, one of these, one of these years we're going to watch a shark eat a person. <laughs> right? Like they're just like, well, this week, you know, we're going to show you how somebody in France devised this really invisible shark cage where they can just get in the water. And sharks won't mess with them. And let's just see how it works out. You know, that's why I'm expecting this, right? Because we, we try to outsmart the shark. So we're, we're not smart, right? You can't outsmart a shark. Some people's answer is just build this really, really good, strong shark cage. What does that look like spiritually? What does that look like in a Christian's life? A really good shark cage we think would be this. Hey, make me a church that's everything I want. And don't ask me to do a thing. And let me come to church seven nights a week so I never have to be around sinners and sharks. And that way they'll never hurt me. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not to insulate from them. It's to actually go out into the deep where they are because we're supposed to go rescue people that are drowning. That's what we're called to do. So how do we deal with sharks? 
What's the best way to deal with sharks? I say it's this. The best thing you can do is, number three on your sheet, is unleash the lion. His name is King Jesus. Let him protect us from the sharks. Let me give you your big idea, and I'll give you a couple more scriptures, and we'll pray and go swim in the ocean. The best shark cage is an empty lion cage. The best shark cage is an empty lion cage. You want to swim with sharks? You want to go out into the deep? You want to be called by God into places that you've never been before? I mean, you want to be protected? Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and obliterated the sharks. Unleash the lion. And let his empty cage be your protection. Let me give you this verse. It's in Colossians. I love this verse in Colossians. It talks about what Jesus did with the sharks. The biggest shark is Satan, obviously. I will start in verse 13 because it's just that good. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, meaning when you were far from God, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15 is our verse here. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And he made a public display of the biggest shark we'll ever know. He totally destroyed the works of Satan. Jesus said in John 16, that in this world we would have trouble. In this world we would have sharks. There'd be sharks in the water. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And what he's saying is, my victory is your victory. Amen. I've won. I've won. Hang out with me. So sometimes it's not about defeating sharks as much as about being closer to Jesus. James 4, 7 says this, that if we would submit ourselves to God and resist Satan, he has to flee. So we get sometimes so, <laughs> we're so locked in on the shark. Like, how do I get rid of the shark? The shark. And he's just like, hey, dude, I've already done that. Hang out with me, right? So come hang out with me, and then I'll take care of the sharks. We unleash the lion by putting our relationship with Jesus front and center. We honor Jesus. Listen to this. We honor Jesus by spending time with him. We love him. We live for him. We trust him, even when sharks are around us, because we know that he's able to step in and save the day. That's the message that like Mordecai and Esther would have loved to have known, right, at the end of this chapter. When things were so good at the end of chapter 2, queen, I'm on the throne, I got my cousin, a, a nice job at the gate, he's got some influence, and in one chapter, they're looking at imminent death. Just one chapter. And so we look at this going back and go, yeah, just hang on, guys, it's going to be okay. Have you ever told somebody it's going to be okay when they don't think it's going to be okay? They don't listen, do they? Dude, it's okay. I know she dumped you, but there's plenty of more fish in the sea. But they won't smell like her. They won't twirl their hair like she did. We, we have perspective, right? There's this perspective is an amazing thing. And so I want us to kind of cut some slack to the characters in this story. Because we look back, and if we could step into the end of chapter 3 and talk to Esther and Mordecai, what would you say? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like, all the things that you're worried about, 
I've read the end of the story. God's working it out. It's going to be fantastic. You are not going to believe the end of this story. And they would go, oh, shut up. I'm freaking out, right? Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're in the middle of it. Maybe you're, um, I can't imagine being in the deep ocean, like no land in sight, and all of a sudden you just see like fins circling you. A little bit of panic, right? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe sharks are circling you. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your finances. Like sometimes checkbooks can seem like sharks, right? Maybe it's your body. Maybe your body's breaking down. You're sick. You don't know what's going on. I mean, I don't know what sharks are circling you, but I know this. That's a panicking place to be. And that's when you need to know this. Man, God saves the day. He saves the day for them. He will save the day for you. Be brave, church. There are sharks in the water. I want you to unleash the lion. Trust his hand to deliver you.